Hey Jaywalkers, it's my favorite season and I'm ultra excited because we're going to be at two shows back to back. We have Spooky Empire this weekend, the 27th to the 29th, then next weekend we have Maker's Fair. We get to show off different facets of what we do at both these shows, which is kind of cool. It's also fun to meet people and introduce them to the comics and the books and everything. Now, if only I could get up the nerve to talk to more people about this show. Anyways, today, since it's October and elections traditionally happen early in November, I thought we'd talk about the Electoral College and whether or not it should even be a thing anymore. So, what is the Electoral College? The process where electors are selected to vote for the president on behalf of the state per the laws of that state. A majority of 270 electors is required for a candidate to win the presidency, as there are 538 electors total. That number seems like it was pulled from thin air, but there's one elector for every congressperson, plus three for D.C. These people are selected by party officials at the state level. Most states have a winner-take-all system, so the winning party sends their electors to cast party ballots, but some states have a proportional representation system instead. So if these people vote for you, why should you vote? Because they vote based on how your area votes. You basically vote for the elector who will represent your area. How did we get the system? It's written into the Constitution. It was a compromise between people who wanted Congress to elect the president and people who wanted the people to elect the president. Article 2 and the 12th Amendment both refer to electors, but the term electoral college doesn't appear anywhere in the Constitution. More than 700 attempts to change it have been proposed, but because the electors are enshrined in the Constitution, changing this would require a constitutional amendment. Public opinion polls have shown how American opinion has changed through the decades, with 58% favoring dissolution in 1967, 81% in 68, and 75% in 81. These opinions are often affected by attitudes towards third parties who have occasionally had strong regional support, but never gotten enough votes to do more than make it harder for the party they're more closely aligned to to get enough votes to win. Of the 59 presidential elections, a candidate winning a majority or plurality of votes has only lost the electoral vote five times, plurality just being having the most votes but not the majority. Now, the next portion of the history comes from one of the opinion pieces, but I felt it was okay to put here. Uh, it doesn't feel particularly partisan. So there have been several contested elections, like the 1800 election between Jefferson and Burr, who tied. At the time, Vice President and President were chosen by who was first and second in the electoral votes. The election was called for Jefferson, and the Constitution was amended to prevent this from happening again. Two decades later, that amendment was put to the test when the four top candidates fell short of the majority. The top three had a runoff, where the fourth candidate, who was disqualified, made a deal to support John Quincy Adams in exchange for a cabinet position. This made it possible for Adams to beat Andrew Jackson despite Jackson winning the popular vote. In 1876, Rutherford Hayes insisted he would have won three southern states if it wasn't for intimidation of African American voters, and one of his electoral votes in Oregon was in dispute, and, one, and his opponent was one vote shy of majority to become the president-elect. This was the reason why the Bipartisan Electoral Commission was formed which was tasked with awarding those 20 electoral votes and ultimately awarded the presidency to Hayes, which was offered on the condition that Hayes withdrew federal troops from the South, which paved the way for vigilantism in the South. 
Then there was the issue around the ballots in Florida in 2000, which went to the Supreme Court, who found in favor of Bush, and then the controversy around the 2016 election of Donald Trump, despite his having 3 million fewer popular votes than his opponent. In addition to all these stumbles, there's the faithless elector problem, where the elector doesn't vote the way they're supposed to. 157 electors have done this, whether because they preferred the losing party's candidate or because they otherwise didn't agree with the way their state voted. In 2016, there were seven such faithless electors, the most in a single election. I wasn't expecting as much controversy as I found, especially after the fairly benign article by the National Archives. I'm going to slide into the opinions really quick after a break, and we're going to start with the Washington Examiner on why we should keep the Electoral College. Abolishing the Electoral College used to be an outrageous suggestion, but there are currently 15 states and counting supporting an interstate agreement to make the winner of the popular vote the overall winner of the election. Some people consider the Electoral College a relic of the 18th century, but it is vital to American democracy. The annoyance makes sense, given that Al Gore and Hillary Clinton both won the popular vote against George W. Bush and Donald J. Trump, respectively. It lost the Electoral College and thus the presidency. How's that fair? Well, the Founding Fathers deliberately rejected a full popular vote in favor of a system where the population gets a vote based on the number of representatives, which is based on population, and senators, which is a fixed number. They chose this for a few reasons, like protecting the liberty and role of diverse states, which is a direct consequence of the way the electoral votes are doled out. And forget about the little states like Vermont, North Dakota, Wyoming. That could be a big problem for keeping the United States united. Uh, lastly, it keeps fraud and errors within the state. The 2016 election elevated fears of hacking, fraud, and foreign interference, all of which will only continue to expand with the growth of technology. Right now, all that's contained and mitigated by the Electoral College. And then from the Brookings Institution, why the Electoral College should be abolished. So the author says they spent years defending the Electoral College as a professor of campaigns and elections at Brown. In recent years, however, they've changed their view, now believing the Electoral College to no longer be a constructive force in American democracy, and that it's time to move to direct popular election of president. Now, we know the thought process behind the creation of the Electoral College, but has it worked in reality? In most elections, the Electoral College has operated smoothly. State voters have cast their ballots, and the presidential candidate with the most votes in, in a particular state has received all the Electoral College votes of that state, except for Maine and Nebraska, which allocate votes at the congressional district level within their states. There are serious issues facing the Electoral College. Having presidents lose the popular vote but win the electoral vote undermines democracy. Putting an election in the hands of Congress makes backroom and corrupt dealings more likely, in addition to how needing a commission to keep an eye on the electoral process and faithless electors undermine faith in the electoral college. Beyond that, there's a more serious threat to the electoral college. Income inequality. In particular, in a time of rising inequality, 
There's a risk that the Electoral College will represent a smaller group of people, especially because the way electors are divided over-represents small and medium-sized states at the expense of large states. That formula is problematic at a time when a Brookings Metropolitan Policy Program study found that 15% of American counties generate 64% of America's gross domestic product. Most of the country's economic activity is on the East Coast, West Coast, and a few metropolitan areas in between. The prosperous parts of America include about 15 states having 30 senators, while the less prosperous areas encapsulate 35 states having 70 senators. And as such, they have more in hand more of a hand in the election of presidents and official policies. Instead of being kind of a weird thing that happens sometimes, electoral results that don't match the popular vote may become common. For years, at least since 1967, a majority of Americans favored getting rid of the, American, the Electoral College, getting up to 75% in 1981. Recently, there's been a development in those numbers. They've become more partisan even though the number of people favoring popular vote remains in the majority. In 2000, 73% of Democrats and 46% of Republicans polled favored popular vote, while in 2016, those numbers were 81 and 19% respectively. So what can we do about it? The Constitution created the Electoral College, but didn't give guidance on how to award votes. Some states, like Maine and Nebraska, reject the winner-take-all approach and award votes at the congressional district level. The lack of specificity in the Constitution means states could use other methods to award the votes. The National Popular Vote Interstate Compact is a multi-state agreement to award electoral votes to the winner of the nationwide popular vote, but it only kicks in when enough states ratify it to reach the 270 required for a majority. It's currently 74 votes short, and there's no guarantee against faithless electors or legal challenges. A more permanent solution would be to amend the Constitution itself, which would require two-thirds approval from both houses of Congress and approval from at least 38 states. There have been over 700 proposals to abolish the Electoral College in Congress, and it's almost passed a couple of times, and we need our elected officials to press on to keep Americans' faith in their elections. So I don't have any memes for this one. Let me know if you missed the memes or if it was hard to follow along. It's my favorite bit, but it feels a little ungainly at times. Um, so anyways, on to the takeaway. I've never really understood the point of the Electoral College. I know people have told me that without it, California, Texas, Florida, and New York pretty much determine the president. But that seems really simplistic. I mean, look at the last presidential election map of Florida. There was a solid mass of red with some blue around the cities and one little blue spot in rural Florida in Alachua County. I also look at Orange County, California, which is a pretty conservative area in a liberal state, or Austin, Texas, which is a liberal area in a conservative state. But that's kind of my issue. If you're a conservative in California or a liberal in Texas, what's the point in voting for president? Your vote doesn't count because all of the electoral votes in your state are going to the person you didn't want. If we want people to continue taking part in democracy, they have to feel heard. So I think, at least for now, we need to push for our states joining the National Popular Vote Interstate Compact so we have the chance to feel heard no matter where we are. Uh, that's all for today. Jaywalking Through Life is a Hidden Star Graphics property. Come out and see us at our shows. If you have any ideas, think I missed something, if you think I'm just wrong, 
go ahead and email me at jaywalkingthroughlife at gmail.com. And we'll see you at the end of November. November.